Hello and welcome to Kiri Presents or Inspiring Stories. This is the podcast where I sit down with a special guest to share their inspiring story, journeys and thoughts along the way. So sit back and enjoy. This podcast is in honour of Time to Talk Day, which is the 2nd of February this year. It's the nation's biggest mental health conversation and it's a day for friends, family, communities and workplaces to come together to talk, listen and change lives. The more conversations we have about mental health, the better. Talking about problems, traumas, family life and health is so beneficial. And my guest, Amy Macmillan and I will demonstrate the importance of talking by actually sitting down and just talking. I'm really looking forward to digging deeper into our friendship. And here's the show. Hi, Amy. Hi, Kerry. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. We are on Zoom, aren't we, due to distance? Yeah. So hopefully you've got a comfy spot. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Um, As you know, I've been coming out of a really difficult few months, but I'm getting back into things. So I've been with my personal trainer this morning, which is good because we stopped for a couple of months because of my mental health. Mm-hmm. So it's been nice to see them this morning. And also I've just uh, started doing some decluttering in my flat, which is a big, big issue that I have, which is related to my mental health. And when I was very unwell recently, it just really kind of got to me how ridiculous things were. So I'm feeling quite motivated having started and restarted those two things, but yeah. still plugging away at, at trying to sort of recover from this bad patch that I've just had. No, absolutely. I can't wait to see the before and after photos, actually, of your decluttering. I haven't taken it, actually, a day. No, the big, the massive spare cages in the middle of the room have gone, so you can actually move in the flat now. Yeah, so at least you're sitting comfortably on a spare bit of I am, yeah, I'm on my seat and sofa, my bum-shaped dent in it. (laughs) Well, even that is a great example of how you reach out when you do need support and assistance and the exact yeah. reason why we're bringing you on the podcast today is I feel like you're just a prime ambassador of showing us the importance of talking and reaching out when you need help. And even though it's really difficult and there's lots of hurdles you have to go through, but we are creating this episode to highlight Time to Talk Day and the importance of it. It's February the 2nd this yes. year, so it's yep. coming up quite soon so why did you agree to come on the show today I know it's not the easiest of things to do to go public talking about your specific mental health problems as well and we are going to hopefully plan to talk about those today has it helped in the past talking about it and I know how easy or difficult is it talking to even friends like me I am your friend but how difficult or easy and how important is it to talk about these things yeah, it's not easy and it, it varies obviously for every individual. We've all got our own set of individual circumstances. And I think we spoke about this last week in terms of coming on the show at this time. It's quite a good timing for me because I have just had a really difficult patch, which is not good, but it means it's in quite recent memory, just how bad things can be for me. Mm. Um, but also during that period, I kind of realised that I wasn't able to talk to to I probably spoke to you the most but we still didn't speak much and I I couldn't speak to a lot of friends or family and I started to wonder why that was because it wasn't because I didn't think they'd understand or didn't think it would be an issue Um, and as I started to come out of that really difficult stage I've I've kind of realized that it's just it's basically I've got so used to not talking to people about these issues because I've lived on my own for so long and because the issues are quite complex don't really talk to people as much I'm very open about my mental health in general but as I say the last few months have kind of shown me that how little my friends and family know kind of specifically of what I experience Um, and obviously when I was really really um, bad I couldn't communicate that so I just found it impossible to ask for help at that time and now you know I'm working with a, a therapist to try and figure out why that is and how we can change it but sort of coming to your question has talking helped in the past yeah I think anecdotally I can say that talking can help and if the person has the capacity to talk 
it does benefit them. I think for me personally, talking a bit more regularly with friends and family about smaller things would probably help more. Um, so it prevents a bit of a build up of anxiety and different stressors and vulnerability factors. Yeah, once you're in a state where you're really, really struggling, it's hard to talk. So I suppose the short answer to that question is yes, talking can help. But it's about a lot more than just saying to your friends and family, you know, I'm here if you want to talk or or publicity campaigns like Times Talk saying, let's talk, let's talk. It's great that rhetoric is now happening in society compared to when we were younger. But I think it's more complicated and more nuanced than people just saying, oh, I'm here if you want to talk. You know, people need mm-hmm. to be a bit more proactive and kind of. I mean, you do. You, you message me and you call me when you know I'm struggling and I'm not always able to answer but you're trying to do that. But I appreciate if people don't know I'm struggling, then they can't, they don't know that I need help or they don't know how to help. Mm. So yeah, so in terms of coming on the show and talking about this particular issue, you know, you want to talk a bit about the time to change, uh, time to talk day, a bit of a Freudian slip there in terms of wanting me to change things about my own life. And it's just coincided with this work I've started doing about going, you know what, I talk about my mental health in general and I put stuff Mm. on Facebook. But actually, in terms of the more complex issues I have, most people know very little. Yeah. So it does help to talk. But I suppose the, the takeaway from that is it's really not easy, especially if you've got lots of different health problems. Yeah. I mean, we are here today to demonstrate having a conversation for time to talk. Yeah. Today. So, and I agree with you. We know generally that you suffer from mental health problems and you do talk that different instances that have happened, you've you've been open with us Mm -hmm. about but can you tell us a little bit more if you don't mind about the specific mental health problems yeah sure I mean you know we won't go into lots of detail here because we want to really focus on the talking but just to give people Mm. a, a bit of context so in terms of diagnosed conditions I have clinical depression generalized anxiety disorder which I hate the name of that I don't like the word generalized so just to briefly explain what that means you have different forms of anxiety like social anxiety disorder for example generalized anxiety disorder basically means you're anxious about everything or you can be anxious about everything so that's what the general means Um, and those are two conditions that are are really quite uh, what's the word I'm looking for lots of people have them I was going to say popular which is absolutely the wrong word more common common yes that's a good word you know, lots of people have varying levels of anxiety and depression and, and um, things like time to talk can really help with that. Mm. But I also additionally have some more complex issues. So I have borderline personality disorder and complex PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. Most people probably would have heard of PTSD. It's very known in, in contexts like war and like having trauma happen to you. But basically what complex PTSD means is that you've had a number of different traumas over your life it might be the same thing like happening over and over or it might be lots of different things which has happened to me and they kind of all add up all of the traumas together to create this so there are loads of different symptoms with all of those which we you know we haven't got time to go into and also it interlinks with chronic physical health issues so I do have a few physical conditions as well and just generally the more I'm struggling with my mental health you know, I'm more tired, I'm in more pain, I'm not sleeping as well, I'm not eating as well. But it does um, link, does it? The mental and the physical health is... Yeah, it really totally does, linked. it really does. Yeah. And like um, I say, we haven't got time to go into it all, but sort of just to have an idea, I mean, most people all, all kind of know what depression and anxiety is, but in terms of the more complex symptoms that I have that are coming from all of the conditions combined, there's... I don't hear what I would call instructive voices. So somebody with something like schizophrenia hears voices like telling them to do stuff. Mm -hmm. So I don't have that. But what I have is a constant internal dialogue. So it's like voice in your head, but it's not telling you what to do. It's just a constant. So your mind is just going all the time. never really like switches off. I just have huge anxiety about almost everything. And that really leads to a lot of paralysis my ability to sort of function and manage day-to-day life is really varied and that's impacted by lots of things sleep paralysis is a big issue night terrors flashbacks in relation to sleep, uh, PTSD which can come from anything really sight sounds something that might remind me of something massive emotional instability in terms of the BPD and kind of all or nothing thinking 
I'm sure you would agree with this. I'm one thing I would say that I don't suffer with being manipulative. And that is a massive stereotype with borderline personality disorder. Right. It's one of the many symptoms that people can have. Mm-hmm. But BPD is often portrayed in the media as somebody who's selfish and lacks empathy and manipulates people, which I know that I'm not like that not. yeah and and so actually it goes the other way for me I'm hugely compassionate and often you know to a fault and like apologizing constantly and stuff like that you know I'm really sensitive I'm really easily upset a few more things like there's loads but being very overwhelmed getting confused easily irritated frustrated and dissociation is a big one people might want to google that it's that would be a podcast in itself but mm. in layman's terms basically if I'm dissociated I don't know where I am what day it is what I'm supposed to be doing it's like just you're it's like being unconscious but you're not actually unconscious like the brain's unconscious yeah and that's a big issue particularly because I live on my own because if I'm dissociated and I'm meant to be somewhere I ain't gonna be there and there's nobody here to, to help me do that so so yeah there's loads more symptoms and maybe if people want to know a bit more they they can google their conditions see but as I say just be aware that everyone's different so if you google bpd and you read all the symptoms i'm not all of those things but if you know me you could probably go oh yeah amy does struggle with that it's like a lot of illnesses that that's the same for that isn't it? you're not going to have every single symptom there exactly but yeah i mean we don't know what you go through it's not something we come across every day like you say it's not as common we know about depression and anxiety but all those other specific mental health problems we don't come across every day it's hard for people to comprehend isn't it even friends and family and almost it's almost like we don't want to go there with you as well because it's hard to hear that you that you've gone through that yeah I think that's right and I've I've been talking to my CBT therapist recently about this kind of gap between the close friends and family that I have because it's not like I don't have close friends or family that are willing to listen or help and you know why am I not reaching out to them and and part of what we sort of come up with so far and you can probably you can answer this for yourself obviously only other friends and family can answer for themselves but he suggested to me that I might be sitting here thinking oh I would really like my family or or one of my friends to to ask me these questions because I don't feel able to just tell you without a question Mm. and for all I know you guys could be sitting there going oh well we want to know a bit more but we we don't want to ask Amy because she might not want to share it and then there's a lot of guesswork on my part and kind of assuming what people are going to think and feel and that's something I'm trying to move away from and the therapist calls it rules and assumptions where you've had a traumatic like difficulties in your life and you learn things and you make them rules when they're not really so one of mine for example which links to what we're doing now my rule would be I have to always plan and for everything and write notes. And the assumption behind that is if I don't, then I'll fail at whatever it is I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do that with relationships. So I will think and assume that somebody will not want to talk to me or won't have the time to listen. But I don't actually know that unless I ask them. Yeah. But it's difficult, you know, especially I know how, how busy people are. So even if I'm in a position where I feel like I want to talk, I might find myself thinking, oh, but it's, you know, Sal was going to be ringing you and it's a day when you're picking up the boys. I might be like, oh, but it's pickup time. Mm. So and I know you'd always answer if you could, but then I'll go into a cycle of, oh, well, I can't ring anyone who's got kids when it's this time. And then it's, oh, now it's tea time. And I'm always thinking, oh, there's a reason why my friend won't want to talk to me. But they haven't told me that. I've just assumed it. But even after you sharing all that, I feel like I know more already. And and obviously we've known each other 30 years. Yeah. And we have had lots of conversations and we are there for each other. And like you say, I do sort of message you when I can. But I suppose I'm more like, oh, let me know if you need anything. I'm here rather than yeah, sort of that, asking yeah. direct questions about specific things. Yeah. And it's a tricky one. I mean, that does help. And sometimes like if I think about when I'm really, really struggling to communicate, if people were like bombarding me with loads of questions, that would probably be difficult to answer. But mm. equally, like I remember getting messages like, are you OK or how are you? Because people hadn't heard from me, which showed yeah. that they cared. And I remember looking at it and going, oh, I just, oh, no, I'm not OK, but I don't know how to communicate that. And that that was partly depression. But I think the more complex issues I have really feed into that difficulty in communicating. And like with this today, I'm not anxious about doing a podcast with you about my mental health or time to talk day. I'm not worried about anyone knowing anything about my mental health. I'm happy for like anyone to know anything. 
but there is a massive anxiety and the anxiety is that which linked to what I said about my prep and stuff the anxiety is I'm somehow going to get it wrong and by wrong what I mean is like oh we'll come off the podcast and be like oh I didn't say that I had that symptom and that symptom and that symptom Mm -hmm. and as I've already said we haven't got time to go into that but I'm like how can I get across what I want to in the space of time and I've definitely had that experience with thinking about telling you or my family a bit more about stuff when I think about trying to have the conversation I freeze and I go actually I, I don't know how I would explain it so I just don't it's like that all or nothing thinking actually it's like either ever someone has to know everything yeah or always oh, no point in telling anyone anything yeah um and it's only fairly recently that I've recognized that that's that's been happening and I've looked at okay why is no one helping me or why don't I feel I can ask for help I'm like oh it's because I haven't actually explain things to people that could help yeah and generally you're talking about people being busy and you can't call people at certain times and Mm. I think today's society there's definitely a lot of well there's less face-to-face communication generally now isn't there with like you say people are busier there's more stresses in life and we talk to our neighbours less apparently and even those snippets of conversation that we might be able to have in the coffee shop or in the waiting room and people are on their phones more aren't they they're checking social media Mm. how detrimental do you think this lack of connection is to people's mental health and do you think it's exasperated your own mental health problems yeah I I think in general that lack of connections um in society in terms of like human face-to-face connections which had already moved quite significantly anyway pre-covid in terms of what we do on our phones and things like that um but obviously since covid it's 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 exacerbated the problem like well there's lots of things around this for me for me personally there's pros and cons to it so the lack of connections overall and again this is quite a recent realization for me because often I'll be like oh it's fine to not talk to people because I'm anxious and I'm stressed I don't want to talk to anyone Mm. but as you know I've lived on my own you know almost my entire adult life and I've and long periods of that time I've not had close friends or family geographically but nearby and so I've just fell into this pattern of not really making connections and I don't really think I realized until recently how significant that build-up of years and years with like I have connections like multiple times a year when I come and visit you and other close friends and family, but I wouldn't have that like ongoing yeah, connection. Yeah, day-to-day that's, no, connection. That's been, yeah. that's been years that actually that wasn't the case for me. And I think actually a combination of COVID and then the recent times I've had when I've been really struggling and I'm like finding myself thinking I do have people physically closer to me now, but why aren't they helping me? Mm. Oh, well, they don't know. And so in terms of like small little connections, connections I think the the lack of little ones for me over time has built up to feel right. like finding it communicate more broadly yeah and then there's pros and cons I suppose yeah it yeah. is practice yeah and therapists talk about that a lot like the CBT therapist that I'm working with at the moment is is brilliant and I just restarted with him after doing some work in the summer and that was one of the things we talked about a lot he's he's very good he's very experienced and he he got me quite well quite quickly and I learned that when I was like growing up um, and in my 20s as well, um, I'm 40 now and certainly in my early 20s, probably even my mid to late 20s as well, I was kind of not learning things in terms of like holistic kind of management of emotions and things like that and when it's appropriate to be sad and happy and angry. And for whatever reasons, we haven't really got to the reasons part yet. You know, I've grown up with all these, what he, you know, the rules and assumptions and everything. Mm. Um, and one of the things that's happened as I've got older is I've gone from being in a situation where I physically didn't have anyone close, so I couldn't really get the help, to then being in a situation where I could get the help, but I'm so used to not asking for it. But um, it links a bit to social media, which you mentioned in that question. So, like, as you know, I use Facebook a lot. And I, on one hand, I really benefit from it, from the tech and from the social media. And a lot of that, ironically, is around keeping connected. So, you know, when I come home from work and I've got a little like story to tell or something, I don't have a partner or a flatmate to tell it to. So I might put on a Facebook post and it's nice to get it out. And then people might comment and like on it. So you get a bit of engagement. I wonder if it's the same benefit that is the face to face connection. It's not. No, it's no. not. And so I think I've got used to doing that. And I notice, you know, if I'm away somewhere and I'm, you know, if I'm staying with friends or family, then those little connections happen. And I don't put everything on there. And some things in terms of stressors, like 
you know, I'm saying something at work. Actually, if it was a really significant issue at work, I wouldn't put it on Facebook because it's not appropriate. Mm. So when that might happen in one of my paid roles that I do or one of my volunteer roles, and I'll come in and I'll be stressed about work. If that was you, you would probably share it with your husband. Like, or I've got friends that live with flatmates. They might share with the flatmates, but I'll come home and there'll be no one to kind of have that conversation with. And I, I, I have started uh, over the last few years to try and have those little conversations just out and about. So like yeah. in coffee shops and stuff like that. A few years ago, before COVID, probably about five years ago, I don't know why, but for some reason, I just started being a bit more talkative and friendly to people I would meet. Yeah. So, you know, if I was, for example, buying a coffee in a coffee shop, as I was leaving, I'd say, as well as saying thank you, I'd say have a nice day. Mm. And it's just a small thing. Almost every time when you say to somebody, have a nice day, they will say it back or they'll say yeah. something nice. They'll say, thanks, you too. And I, when I'm in, I have the capacity to communicate and I do that, it does just make me feel a bit more positive. Yeah. On the other hand, when I'm struggling to communicate, somebody might say to me, I'll oh, have a nice day. And I'm so inside myself and stressed and anxious. I don't even hear them say that, never mind actually respond back. So, yeah, so it's tricky. I think in terms of tech and social media, I think there's benefits for, for my mental health and managing it. But there's also downsides and it might be my go-to place to put something on Facebook rather than pick up the phone and speak to somebody. So, yeah, and definitely in terms of COVID, I, I just started to kind of make friends here in Brighton. I'd been in Brighton two and a half years when COVID kicked off. Mm. And I was just feeling like I was starting to make acquaintances into friends in terms of yeah. people I'd physically see. And then everything just stopped. And yeah. so I have definitely struggled with that lack of human connection, which has been a big issue, obviously, in the last two and a half, nearly three years now, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, talking of COVID, that obviously was an isolation period for mm. many, of, well, all of us, wasn't it? And that feeling of loneliness, that feeling of isolation, and you've always lived on your own, haven't you? Um, and during yeah. COVID, I mean, ev- a lot of people suffered from physical and mental illness due to the isolation period that we did face. Do you think the fact that you live lived alone all this time and then we had COVID, do you think that, has had a detrimental effect on managing your mental health problems and then yeah moving locations as well halfway through that time yeah I I think it has again like the tech one there's there's pros and cons and I remember one of the reasons I chose to live alone when I was moving from the Midlands to Leeds was that I felt like I needed my own space to manage my own health problems um and previous to moving to Leeds, it was the last time I lived with somebody and it was a friend. And so it was good to have somebody who was supportive and understanding and she knew when I was struggling. So that was nice. But um, we didn't see a huge amount of each other because she was working a lot and I had other commitments. And so I thought if I now I'm moving, I don't know anyone up there. So I'm either going to move in with someone I don't know. And I did look into that or I'm going to live alone. And I decided to live alone because I thought I just needed that space to manage my own health. Mm. And I think for the first few years, that that was the right decision. I think it was the right thing to do. But again, over time, I think I just fell into a pattern of being so used to being alone that actually it might have helped at some point to live with somebody. But just living with anybody wouldn't have worked. Like The problem is I'd need to be living with somebody, whether it's a flatmate or a partner, who knew me really well and understood. Yeah. So I'm not in a position to just say, oh, I'll go and live with somebody and it and it's going to help. But yeah, so there are pros of living alone. But I think just having a flatmate or a partner, like if it's just little things that happen for your day, like I just said, then you might have those conversations and they, they get away, you know, then they're gone. But if you haven't got someone to have those conversations with, then they can build up and build up and build up and end up just, you know, just kind of exploding. Thank God for the animals, the chinchillas. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, so, that's been a lifeline, oh, I think, hasn't it? Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's what I was going to say. So in terms of the other side of living alone, the more serious side, in recent times when I've been struggling, it's really come to the surface how problematic living on my own can be in the sense that, like, when I was disassociated, like, nobody knew that I was dissociated because no one's here so mm. people only found out there was a problem if I was expected somewhere and I didn't turn up which actually happened once with a hockey match um whilst I was really unwell so I didn't choose not to go to that hockey match I was totally dissociated I didn't know that I'd missed it 
and obviously my my teammates were, were concerned and actually on that occasion um one of my teammates came over and knocked on my door because they were worried because they hadn't heard from me so that was really nice that she did that but yeah on a sort of practical level when I'm really really struggling and I'm not functioning even if I'm not dissociated I'm not so for example if I'm not able to to like to cook and to eat and to have a shower and to like just do all the normal day-to-day things even make a cup of tea and actually that really linked to the clutter in my flat so I remember one day I was just lying on the sofa and I wasn't able to do anything I really wanted a cup of tea and it took me hours to get up the energy to move from the sofa to the kitchen which is like three yards to make the cup of tea and then I got there and I realized I can't make a cup of tea I can't access the kettle there's no clean mugs Whereas if I'd had somebody helping, they could make me a cup of tea or they could do some washing up, which my friend from hockey did actually when she came around and she helped me a little bit with the flat. So I think for those of us with more serious, complex mental health issues where sometimes you are going to be completely unable to function, and this is what I'm working on the moment because I'm not suddenly going to have a flatmate or a partner, so I need to set something else up. So I've got a way to communicate to you and other people close to me that I need help because once I'm in that state, I can't really communicate. Yeah. So I'm in this stage at the moment, which is why this podcast is good timing of of trying to figure out how I can let you and my other close friends and family know enough information about what might happen and what you can do to help in those situations. Yeah, but that's you doing all the work isn't it that's true we should as friends and family be a little bit more aware of these different mental health problems that aren't as common do you think there needs to be more awareness about these maybe in schools in the doctor surgeries in the workplaces yeah I think so I mean in terms of the campaigns like time to talk um and there's lots of other campaigns throughout the year I don't see a problem with any of them. I think they're great and they raise awareness, which is great. Mm. But what I do fear with them is that it's a little bit like a sticking plaster and that it's generally raising awareness of mental health problems, mainly depression depression and a bit of anxiety. They don't really talk in detail about any other conditions. And so I think people today have a much better understanding of, of how serious mental health problems can be. Um, and not everyone, of course, but most people would be willing to listen and have a conversation with friends and family about mental health problems. But even with depression, I was reading something recently where um, somebody was trying to support her husband through depression. And she said, I understand in the sense that I know it's a, it's a medical condition. I know he's like he's really suffering. He's not just being lazy, for example. He's got these yeah. issues. So should I understand from that point of view? But I don't actually understand how it feels because she'd never had depression herself yeah and then she said she doesn't know how to help him because she doesn't know how it feels yeah and he's not in a state to tell her how to help so she was in this cycle of like I want to help you but how so in terms of publicity and encouraging us all to talk absolutely it's brilliant but I think people everyone whether they're the person with the mental health issues or the person trying to support we need more education and language because just saying oh okay let's talk more let's accept that depression anxiety etc or or any mental health problems are real health problems and they need help and they they may need medication they may need therapy i just see a lot of stuff in the last few years telling us general people in society go out and talk more talk more to your friends and neighbors and your family members and listen more if you're the person that's being talked to but where's the education in school so that mm-hmm. kids can understand all their different emotions and that all emotions are fine and valid? And, for example, that being angry is not a bad emotion. There are situations where anger is the right emotion, but there are also situations where it's not. And if we're talking about more complex health issues like I've got, again, the, these sort of campaigns and the government sort of push to get to get people talking and listening people wouldn't know where to start like if you said to somebody that you were feeling depressed and you you fancied a, a chat or maybe the person would come to you and say you know you seem a bit low would you like me to come around and have a cup of tea have a chat and that would probably help a bit like not to devalue depression it's a very serious condition and, and people can and do die from it but I think if people are, are low it's a bit easier to have a conversation with them and make them a cup of tea and maybe just be in their company whereas if your friend or loved one is 
is self-harming or is hearing voices or ha is having psychosis or sleep paralysis most people yeah. wouldn't have a clue what to, what to do you probably yeah. no you wouldn't and you'd go to google straight away and i'm not saying that we need to teach our kids about all these really serious health issues and you know the serious consequences of them but, but just I know that strongly... there's more out yeah. there than just the depression but, and anxiety exactly. just that we're more aware of it and I think what what is good about these campaigns is I, I strongly believe that the reason I've got such complex mental health issues is they weren't dealt with when I was younger and going through my teenage years and into my early 20s. And I don't blame anyone for that. A lot of that was my own fault, for want of a better phrase. But there was I remember there was a time when I was a teenager where I was offered therapy and I said no. And that was that was my decision. In retrospect, it was probably the wrong decision. But. I was old enough to make that choice myself. Mm -hmm. um, and so I do often wonder that had there been more openness about not mental health illness so much, but just mental health. So everybody has mental health. It drives me mad, no pun intended, when someone says, oh, I have mental health, meaning yeah. I have mental health problems, problems or illnesses or whatever. Yeah. Everyone has mental health. Everyone needs to look after their mental health. Yeah. So I think what what the the current kind of campaigns and publicity around general well-being do really well is get a better awareness around and hopefully kids and young people can grow up with a better understanding of of mental health and how to have good mental health and if they're struggling with their mental health how to recognize that and how to ask for help and who to ask for i think a lot of the complex problems of people my age or even people older especially people in their 60s and older mm -hmm. is that none of that was around when we were young and yeah. so none of the issues were dealt with when they were relatively minor so yeah. whilst i'm saying it's important that we have a, a good understanding of more complex mental health issues the depression and anxiety can be i think if that can be challenged or or managed differently educated around when people are younger I think that could help enormously to prevent more serious problems from happening. So it seems the education system still focuses so much on academia as opposed to creating well-rounded individuals with life skills as you know Amy I did teach maths in school and we don't really teach sort of the life math skills that we need to know like mortgages bank accounts savings it's all stuff you need to know for exams but a lot of it I shouldn't probably say but it's not that useful when it comes to yeah living life and it's the same for healthy habits with mindfulness eating healthy how to create a well-balanced life I think all these things do need to be taught in schools I'm sure you agree we need to be happy and healthy first and the academics will follow and there still is so much of a stigma attached to mental health isn't there and too many people who suffer in silence so do you think more can be done in schools to help this? Yeah I agree and it's you know an interesting point you make about teaching maths you know and I work with an 11 year old who's autistic and has ADHD and when I'm trying to help him with his maths homework I haven't got a clue it's, yeah you know it's not stuff that we use in life and I can't remember what I did 25 years ago so, yeah, like you say, we need to be teaching kids these life skills and sort of a balanced, holistic living. And I think I'm a really good example of that. I mean, we went through our, well, our school life together and then I went to a different college and we went to different unis. Mm -hmm. But as you know, like I've always been very academic. I've always done very well in school in terms of mm. grade. But it came at a cost, you know, mm. it really did. It came at a cost during my A-levels where I just, you know, I got good grades, but actually didn't really look after my mental health. And then yeah. when I went to uni, things weren't brilliant. But And then I decided to go into academia, which in retrospect, you know, academia is the worst place for a person with mental health problems. Mm. And by going into academia, I mean, I went into postgraduate study in, in universities. And actually, whilst I was studying, it was always about, when I was at school when I was at college when I was at uni it was always about the results and it was very rarely about the enjoyment of the actual subject lots of um, pressure yeah it? yeah loads, loads of pressure and that was pressure I put on myself so I would say that I personally been massively impacted by the negativity and the kind of target structure of academia and school and it, you know if lots of people who are academically successful do struggle with their mental health and I would say that my as I referred to a bit before, like my emotional development wasn't really supported when I was at school. Um, and I think people our age and older are really struggling with that. So coming back to what we can do now, 
Now, I've, I've referred a little bit to issues that I have around talking about my mental health in the sense that I don't mind talking about it and I don't mind people knowing anything about it. But I just literally struggle to talk. I literally struggle to find the language. And I have these experiences where I'm, I'm dissociated or I've got sleep paralysis or I'm having PTSD stuff. And it's not that I don't want people to know that, but I find myself sitting here going, how do I explain that? How do I explain that to somebody? And when you're actually yeah. in it, actually, I can't communicate at all. So it's actually when I come out of it, you then reflect and go, how can I explain that? And I think if we're teaching our kids from a younger age, the feelings and the language mm-hmm. around it. So I'm, you know, I'm a, an intelligent person. And when I'm functioning, people call me high functioning, which comes with pros and cons. And one of the things about that, because people see me as high functioning, I, I wouldn't say that I think people don't believe I have such serious health issues, but professionals do say to me, they say, because when we see you, you're so high functioning, yeah. it's difficult to imagine. And they get it because they're professionals and they know all the symptoms and I miss meetings with them. So they know I experience it. But one of the problems is I'm always having to talk about what I struggle with and get help with it after the event. Hmm. But I think if my education had been different in school and we, we'd we learned more about our feelings and our emotions yeah. and how to have a holistic, balanced lifestyle, I genuinely think that I wouldn't have as complex issues of, as I have. I think I'd still have issues because, unfortunately, I have had lots of significant traumas in my life and that does affect people. But I don't think it would be so complex. So for young people today, it is better. I see what primary schools do I've got lots of kids in my life including yours who are at primary schools and it's better but you'll know with your kids and your working schools it's not it's not there so in terms of what we can do and coming back to the stigma again we talk a lot in society now about being low and let's talk to people let's reach out and say you know come and talk to us but we need as adults to learn because we never learned it and we need our kids to learn as they're growing up that's a starting point to talk about your feelings and talk Mm. to your friends if you think they're feeling low or if you're feeling low talk to your friends but we need to do a bit more than that we need to have more proactive conversations so for example if somebody you know you think is struggling maybe if you ring them and they don't answer maybe send a text um that's something I often struggle with is answering the phone Mm -hmm. I don't have a problem with people trying but I won't answer it. So you'll do that. If I don't answer, you'll send me a message. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I can reply to that, but sometimes I can't. So what we can do in school with kids is to sort of teach them better ways to manage their own health and balances. The when they're actually thing. going through it as well, exactly. not just yeah. afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And then for those of us who, who are already adults and who well, everybody should really, but certainly if you've got a friend or family member with health problems, is just do it, maybe do a bit of research, be a bit more proactive in help that you offer. And, you know, and you said earlier that when I said that I'm going to kind of talk to my friends and family about what help I might need and when I might need it, and you made the point that that's me doing all the work. And that, that's true, but I suppose my feeling is, well, don't I have to do all the work because I'm the one with the problem? No. And in itself, exactly, but in itself, that's a problem because that's how I think. I'm like, oh, it's, it's not up got to, to other learn, people. And children have got to learn that everyone's different yeah. as well. Not everyone's the same. Absolutely. So that's yeah. another side. It of- really is. And yeah. like we're talking to people, and I think we can help, again, try and teach kids this. Like this is something I'm trying to teach myself now at 40 years old like when I'm really depressed for example so dissociation is different I don't know what's going on I don't know what day or time it is but if I'm really low and depressed I probably do know roughly what day and time it is but I'm just lying on the sofa I can't move deep down I know that I could ring a friend or family member and somebody would answer the phone like the first person might be busy the second person might be busy. someone would answer but when you're feeling like that your mind and your depression takes over and it convinces you that actually no one will be available to talk or nobody will want to talk. And that hasn't come from anybody saying to me, I'm busy, I don't want to talk. But I do think it's partially come from growing up in, in a world, in school and then in adulthood, where busyness is seen as something that we should strive for. Success mm. is seen as, as working in a job that pays a lot of money and you work a lot of hours. And that is starting to change. But certainly, you know, when we were growing up, if you looked at what made you successful it was high grades it was getting a job that paid well you know yeah um and so I I think that these sort of these sort of feelings there's a lot of residual feelings for me where I'm thinking that people don't want to listen or they don't want to help because that's kind of what I grew up thinking 
that's what society told me. And it is changing now for the better, but we've got a long way to go. And those of us who are fully grown adults are having to kind of relearn and unlearn stuff mm. that we learned or we didn't learn in, in school, if that just, makes sense. We're just not used to having those conversations, are we? No, no, we're not. Yeah. I mean, going back to helping young people and kids, mm. there's school, obviously, but it's also home life. I remember yeah. reading, um, it's a really good book, actually, by Dr. Rongan Chatterjee. It's called, um, oh, what's it called? Feel Better in Five. Oh, yes. I these really good, yeah, really good little five-minute tips, which sound like, oh, that'd be easy to incorporate, but you kind of got to build them up gradually because it's a habit, isn't it, that you kind of have to build into your lifestyle. But there was a really good one that I have actually started to use, and it was just about incorporating a discussion around the dinner table around mm-hmm. feelings just as what you said yeah. and you might go around the kids and if they're young you might use a mm-hmm. traffic light system and you might say red amber or green um, and then as they get older you might have more in-depth conversations about how they're, how they're feeling and it's just sort of normalizing these conversations isn't it at home as well as in school and then just having yeah conversations around things that have happened at school whether that be good or bad do you think that's a good yeah I, I do yeah and actually as you were talking there even though you're talking about kids I was thinking of my own situation again and yeah. living living on my own and you know I don't sit around in the table and talk no. to people and you know again would I still have mental health problems if I'd done these things yeah probably would they be as complex if over the last you know couple of decades I'd had the ability so by ability I mean the language myself the confidence myself the actual people to talk to if I'd had all those things and, and I'd been able to kind of, for example, if I'm coming home from studying or coming home from work and I'm, I am upset or I'm angry, if I had the um, opportunity to have a small conversation with somebody around dinner to go, oh, God, it's happened today and I'm, I'm angry about it, I'm upset about it, I think it would have really helped. So if yeah. we can do that with young kids, um, and I see, and I, I don't have human kids myself, you mentioned my animals earlier, um, so as you know, I've got chinchillas and when I am really struggling it's you know they are a lifeline in the sense that they're here and I can have a bit of fur therapy and they're alive and they're they're moving so kind of they make me aware yeah one marker of when you have to look after them as well Well, that's what I was just gonna say I do have to look after them and a marker of when I'm really struggling they still get looked after they get the minimum they need but as you know my boys generally live quite a life of luxury and if I'm really struggling they're not going to be they're going to be more basically cared for they'll still be cared for fine but not to my usual level so that's like a warning sign for me if I'm noticing that I'm not engaging with my chinchillas as much then that's a bit of a warning sign that I'm starting to struggle Um, and that can kind of link to this thing about education and small conversations because so my marker is kind of like oh I'm struggling a bit to look after Otis and Elvin okay so what's going on and by that point I'm like do you know what I don't actually know so it might be that over the preceding few days I've got more upset or angry or confused and I haven't really noticed until I've gone oh no I'm not giving Otis and Elvin as much attention as normal but if I was having those little conversations each day then I would have noticed because if someone had said to me oh how was your day how are you feeling I'd be like, oh, actually I had a really difficult day blah 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 and then it would have gone so my the way that I notice there's an issue now it's almost too late by the time I realise there's a problem but I'm hopeful that if we can teach our kids to be more open about their emotions, mm. that problems for them are less likely to occur. So, for example, if you've got a kid in primary school and every day they've gone in and something's been upsetting them, but it's not been discussed. And for five days of the week, they're being upset at school and you come to the weekend and maybe they're badly behaved or they're tired or whatever. You don't know what's going on. But if they've come home on day one on Monday and you've had that conversation and they've gone, actually, I'm a bit upset. Oh, why yeah. are you upset? And it's not going to build up. So Might be a smaller problem. You can yeah, do smaller problems yeah, before they absolutely. get too big. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really one of the main issues I've got, that, that things build up and then they explode. I mean, I would say that I don't consider myself to be um, well and unwell. I consider myself to always have these mental health problems. What fluctuates is my ability to manage them. Um, and again, for kids, if they can learn to manage their emotions in a more stable way, 
and not hide them. It's not helpful to tell a child not to be upset about something or not to be angry. Children have to learn that any emotion is fine. Some emotions can be misplaced and, and that's something that they, they'll need to learn. And obviously it's the way you might react to them. So, for example, it's fine to be angry, but is it fine because you're angry to physically or verbally assault somebody? No, but it is OK to be angry. So mm-hmm. then you would look at how you could help the child understand how they might safely and healthily get their anger out. Yeah. Um, I mean, I haven't been in schools for quite a while now. You'll know a bit more than me, although I suspect in secondary school it's probably a bit a bit late now. So I don't know what schools are doing exactly, but I would hazard an educated guess that it varies massively. I can see some schools that have got the resources and small numbers perhaps really trying to help their young people with their holistic well-being but I also Mm. suspect that many schools it's just not even on the radar unfortunately it's funding as well though isn't it exactly exactly if we if we do try and start talking about these topics young hopefully like you say it will help into adulthood as well before things Mm. get too big because even now people sometimes get worried about going to the doctors wasting their time they feel like their problems might not be valid or they're worried about what the, the doctors are going to say or they might be too embarrassed to say what they have again that's because they're not used to talking about certain things I think I've been to the doctors before thinking oh I don't think my problem's big enough I think it's too small to go to the mm. doctors but actually it's better to start small like we've said isn't it before it turns into a bigger problem yeah, it is. It's difficult. GP, in terms of what, um, certainly an adult, I assume it's the same for a child and a parent or carer. The first port of call is meant to be your GP for any health problem. Mm-hmm. And that includes mental health problems. And I've had some wonderful GPs in the past that have really supported my mental health. And at the moment, I don't. And that's because during COVID, I'm sure she was just having a particularly busy, stressed day. But, you know, during COVID, we had one of our usual, what used to be face-to-face, but were now telephone consultations, which were basically check-ins. And we'd never had a problem with these before. She was always brilliant and understanding. And I can't remember the exact words she used, but I remember how it made me feel. She basically said, look, in this time of COVID, and we're so busy, and we're so understaffed, and we're so untimely, I can't help you with your mental health. You know, you need to, you need to wow. go elsewhere. Mm, and that, that, was some, that was somebody that had supported me for a few years really well and yeah. luckily I had a support an employment support worker whose whose job is to help me with maintaining employment which is really hard when you've got mental health problems it's not her job to really look at the kind of real personal stuff but obviously there's a crossover but I was able to speak to her and she was able to refer me somewhere else so I did end up getting the support I needed but it took a long time and ever since then, and you're talking about two, two and a half years now, I've had this feeling of, oh, I shouldn't go to my GP with this. So when I, actually when I was, so I've now got a new GP because complete coincidence, she left. So I've been given this new and, you know, I, I've only seen him once and it was basically pointless because he was late and he was looking at his watch. Oh, what is it? I've only got five minutes. Mm. So even though I've spent a long time accessing NHS services decades and I know that GPs are meant to be okay with, helping you with mental health problems even for me I've been feeling well I didn't contact my GP when I was really bad and people kept saying to me oh why don't you contact your GP and I just kept saying there's no point because they've told me before that this is I shouldn't talk to them about mental health and they're really busy so even though there's lots of publicity saying you know ask for help talk to a people Again, I think it's going to be potluck whether your own GP is supportive or not. But absolutely, I know I've just told quite a negative story, which may not help if you're having these feelings, but try not to have any preconceptions. That's my experience with one one doctor. And I've also had some wonderful experiences, including with her. And I think COVID just made everyone go a little bit crazy and people were so busy. So again, like you said, if you go with a fairly small thing it doesn't build up and in terms of the NHS and being underfunded it drives me mad how they just they would save a lot more money if if they would invest more so if they wait until somebody's really unwell so say somebody's trying to access help because they're really struggling and maybe they're even going towards feeling suicidal they might be experiencing psychosis or they might be self-harming or anything going on but 
the NHS aren't helping for whatever reason, in both commas, and it builds and it builds and builds. And eventually that person has a complete breakdown. Hmm. And at this point, the NHS basically haven't spent any money on that, on that person because they've not been supporting them. The hmm. person has a breakdown. If they're working, they suddenly can't work, so they're not contributing to the economy. They're probably going to go into hospital, which is going to cost the NHS an awful lot of money. Yeah. The main most important thing, of course, is for that poor person where a breakdown could have been prevented. So I think sometimes and it's not the NHS that I blame. It's the government and the funding and whoever is making the decisions about where the money goes and what it's used on. It's very short sighted. So even, for example, the therapy that I'm getting at the moment with the CBT therapist I mentioned, he's wonderful. And it's just been complete luck that I got him. The first person they gave me was not good and we changed and he's brilliant. But it's short term. And all you're meant to get is six sessions, six mm-hmm. sessions. And that's it. Luckily, um, because he's so good and he's so experienced, there is some capacity to extend to a maximum of 12 maybe 14 but 14 is absolutely that's all you can have which in the context of decades of very complex mental health is nothing no you know so um luckily they in this particular service once you've had that block which i had in the summer you can re-engage three months later which Mm -hmm. is what i've done which is why i've restarted with him so that's brilliant but we're already counting the sessions down knowing and he said to me last week like you're you're engaging with this well and i think it really helps when you have this weekly session you know and I have this great professional support but whenever I don't have that professional support for whatever reason everything just crumbles so again like coming back to the NHS if people can get support early Early. and that's where things like time to talk are really important like I'm aware that I've been a little bit critical in terms of we can't just say everyone needs to talk we have to be more proactive and we have to ask more difficult questions we have to learn about more complex mental health issues that's all true and valid but equally I do recognize that out of all the mental health problems depression and anxiety are the ones that most like are the biggest experienced and they're also the ones which are often the gateway to the more complex problems Mm -hmm. so absolutely we should be talking more and we should have education around and we don't necessarily have to educate people around this is depression when it's children or this is anxiety they just learn about feelings and what yeah. feelings are good and bad. And another a thing, just briefly to go back to the education, which occurred to me, and I forgot to mention, is we really need to move away from gender stereotypes. I expect you probably see this a lot, having two boys. And although society is getting a bit better at this, it's still quite bad at fixing emotions and gender. So, mm. for example... A girl and a boy might exhibit exactly the same behaviour or emotion, but the boy will be viewed differently to the girl. So a boy's like, if he's a bit, I don't know, like a little bit rough and tumble, that's seen as a good thing. And if the girl's a bit rough and tumble, then it's seen as a bad thing. And of course, there are not two genders. I'm talking here about boys and girls and not everyone identifies as male or female. But in terms of the gender stereotyping, it is very binary. And there's emotions. It's funny, actually, because as I'm explaining this, I personally am so far removed from associating feminine and masculine stereotypes that I can't actually think of any examples. But I think (laughs) you probably know what I mean. I expect you sometimes get comments about your boys and and how they are. And if you had a girl who was doing the same thing, the comments would be very different. And so I think in terms of emotions, I suppose the obvious one would be in terms of boys and crying, you know, this, this old boys, boys shouldn't cry, you know, boys need to man up and all this rubbish. And that's when when you get into adulthood, it's the women who are bossy and are assertive. Yeah, that's the type of yeah. thing. So, and and it is improving. You know, the kids that I look after and your kids recently have said things to me that are very insightful and and they make me think good things are changing. But equally, I still see a lot of stuff around where it's boys are expected to fit into this framework of emotions and girls are expected to fit in this framework. And if you don't identify as either, then you haven't even got a framework. And that's a whole new kettle of fish. But so in terms of the education and in the NHS, really, I think even within the NHS, if you took a a child who identifies as female and a child that identifies as male of the same age to the same GP with the same issues, I would bet money that the response would be different on whether it was the, the girl or the boy. So we're going in the right direction but there's a long way to go yeah and you've obviously seen that probably in your work because obviously you do work with children you you look after 
the family that need help at home, you look after adults with special needs as well. And you do lots of volunteering projects, Amy. I always think of you as a bit of a chameleon. <laughs> so how do you manage to compartmentalise all those different roles? And how do you manage your well-being on a day-to-day basis now with those different roles in place as well? It's difficult. It's really difficult. Prep, prep, prep is the first thing that I thought of. I'm just absolutely obsessed with preparing for things. And mm-hmm. it's it's a management tool and it helps me manage my anxiety, but it can go too far and it takes so much time. So everything will take longer than it's allocated slot. So, for example, if I'm working a four hour shift, actually, for me, that's at least five hours, sometimes more of time because I need like buffer time before and afterwards to kind of to prep and to debrief and stuff. And that's obviously I'm not getting paid for that time, but I need to do that before I can kind of move on to the other thing that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of different lists. So I'm working this afternoon with a client. So if you were to ask me now what you can do with her this afternoon, I wouldn't be able to tell you. But if I went and looked at my list, so once I'm there, I, I engage with that. Loads and loads of professional support. Like I've mentioned, that I've got an employment support worker. So she helps me a lot with um, that's through a, a local third sector organisation. And, and you know, so she helps me navigate any issues that I have at, at work constant kind of a dialogue with myself about what's going on and where I have to be when and that kind of thing. And I do try and utilise the skills I use at work on myself. You know, if I'm in somebody's home and I'm helping them to to do something, like even something as simple as washing up or cooking the dinner, and I sort of laugh to myself and I think, you need to do this for yourself. <laughs> so I try to model my behaviour at home and what I do. But yeah. to be honest, a huge amount of it actually is luck. You know, and I mentioned earlier about when I've been dissociated, I did miss um, two shifts, one in each job over the last few months for that reason and you know I didn't let them know I wasn't coming because I wasn't able to and that was really difficult because that's not happened before and it's real pure luck that it hasn't really so sort of trying to explain that after the event was quite difficult Mm. Um, and then in terms of managing my wider life like you mentioned that I do lots of volunteering I have taken a bit of a step back from volunteering for the next few months to focus on trying to sort my flat and with my CBT work but I'm still doing some because although it's a time commitment, I get a lot out of it, you know, and I do a lot of stuff um, outdoors, which really helps, a lot of outdoor wellbeing stuff. And it's trying to get this holistic balance and it's managing my energy. It's resting a lot. I say no to a lot of things, unfortunately, because I just can't manage all that stuff. But the big one at the moment, really, as you know, I'm, I'm working on trying to come up with a better management plan for my health and life going forward because I thought I was managing quite well and then I had these really big chunks of time when I wasn't functioning and the fallout from that is is massive and I've been feeling better for a couple of weeks now but I'm still exhausted I'm still trying to catch up on stuff because if you haven't eaten properly and slept properly for weeks and you haven't tidied up you haven't done the washing up you haven't done all your lists of things you needed to do for work Mm -hmm. I've got weeks of like catching up to do so yeah. yes, what I'm trying to in terms of compartmentalizing is I do try and separate things out, but I also try and see the whole picture. And so I look at a day, someone might ask me, Are you free to do such and such? I won't just look in the diary of is there a gap? I have to look at what am I doing, what sort of energy is it going to use, physical, mental, how long am I going to need to take before and afterwards? And it's just it's just exhausting. Yeah. But if I didn't do that, then I would never be getting out of the bloody flat, to be honest. It would just be I'd never do anything, so I have to do it as a compromise Assist, at the moment. A system in place, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. We are coming towards the end of the podcast, Amy, but mm-hmm. what support is out there that you can recommend for people who are ready to take that step in talking about something that they need help with? It's difficult. I'm really lucky, as I said, I've got good professional support at the moment. As we've discussed, the NHS support is quite limited and it's often short term. But you can access longer term support through slightly different ways. So um, most of my long term support is through um, third sector or charity organisations. So organisations like Mind and Rethink, who are the ones that um, organise Time to Talk Day, they vary around the country in terms of what they offer. So Mind, where I used to live in Leeds, I don't know if it still does, but it used to offer lots of of courses that you go to, things like managing depression, managing anxiety, Mm -hmm. managing self-harm, emotional eating, loads of things that you can just self-refer to and you can go along and they're they're free usually and you can engage in those. Um, Similarly, there might be groups that you can go to. Um, So there's a, 
in Brighton, a service user, I think they call us, they used to call us clients of what used to be Preston Park Recovery Centre. It's now called the Wellbeing Hub, I think. And that you can self-refer to there and they will have places like that around the country. And what you then get is access to groups that you can go to, exercise groups, art groups, sort of not yeah. therapy groups as such, but kind of like coffee and chat groups. So you can Google things like that, um, Google kind of mental health charities, mental health third sector, um, third sector being, yeah, that it's not, so it's not sort of funded centrally by the government. But there's a lot of yeah. linking, actually. I think one of the organisations I get support from has got funding from various places and some of it's charitable, some of it's from the NHS. I know I've told a cautionary tale about the GP, but if you're really starting from scratch, your GP is meant to be the first point of yeah. call. They should be able to direct you to what services are around locally. And I believe a lot of GP practices now have a mental health practitioner on site. So that's something you can ask for at your GP if there is one. And another bit of advice I would give, if you go see your GP and they're not interested, ask to see somebody else. Yeah. Um, I know that might be difficult, but, but try and do that. If you're local to where I am, which is Brighton, an organisation called Self Down Housing is amazing. It, the title was a little bit misleading because they started as a housing organisation and they've expanded. Right. Okay. If you're anywhere in Sussex, actually, it's not just Brighton, anywhere in Sussex, Google South Down Housing um, and there's loads of stuff, including the Recovery College, which, again, they will have similar things across the country. They're a free service and every term they run lots of courses, a bit like the ones that Mind in Leeds do. Also, the Mind in different areas, they don't all run courses, so they're Mind in Brighton. They're more of a signposting service, and I think a lot of the local Minds are like that, but they're usually brilliant. So yeah. you can go to them, you can kind of explain your situation, and um, they can kind of go, oh, this is the help that might be available, and signpost you there. And volunteering as well, you know, that's a really good thing to do if you can. Yeah. And if you're really struggling, there's always, there will be a 24-hour crisis line. Samaritans are 24 hours. And also there should be a local 24-hour crisis line. Mm-hmm. So my biggest bit of advice on that, and I actually need to take this advice myself, I need to check that I've got the update number on my phone, is get those numbers in your phone ahead of yeah. time. Because if you're in crisis and you suddenly need the 24-hour crisis number, you're not in a position to be Googling that or finding it. Right. So get it in in your phone ahead of time and we've heard about um, people not getting through to those numbers so try absolutely. again keep trying yeah, we, yeah. to get through eventually because it's that's it's, that's a difficult one because if you're really struggling and you've used all your energy to make one phone call and they don't answer you know if I was really struggling I would probably then go oh well there's no point and unfortunately because of funding lack of funding lack of staff we are reading about people not getting through or being you know taking ages to get through so if you can keep trying, um, one thing you could do is have, I need to do this for my own crisis plan, actually. If you get together a crisis plan, which is like a physical thing you can have in your house and you can have stages. So you might have a number one option and you try that. And if you can't get through, you could look at the second option. But if you don't have that physically in front of you, you're probably going to struggle. So the advice would be to look for what support is out there, you know, ahead of when you might need it. Yeah. But equally, don't wait until you're in crisis. If you recognise that something's happening, that's the time to go and speak to your GP. Yeah, early. Early, early. Yeah, Do it early. That would be one of my biggest bits of advice for sure. And have you got one piece of advice, maybe a small change in people's lives that you could advise that could get people talking? Oh, goodness. Well, one small change. <laughs> I don't know about one. I think if you're actually saying one, I've got a few that I thought of, but I think, I would say whether you're the person wanting to talk or if you're the person that's going to hear the talking is kind of be proactive in that talking and listening and offering help. So that is for both sides, but that's mainly actually for the person who, if you think, so for example, if it was you and you think I'm struggling and you do this anyway, to be fair, so perhaps probably not the best example, but rather than just sending a message saying, are you okay? maybe ask questions that are a bit more closed something yeah. that sort of bear it I think I would say be proactive if you're the person that is going to be listening be proactive in asking questions that are kind of short but can be easily answered and change tact if you need to so so for example if you rang somebody and they don't answer then try texting or if it's yeah. the other way if they text and they don't answer sometimes it's people first talk sometimes they prefer to text so 
So try both. And yeah, when you're kind of offering help, maybe ask the person, you know, what would be useful. And then if they aren't able to answer, maybe then make some suggestions. So that friend from hockey that helped me the day she came, I was I was in no fit state to string a sentence together. And she sort of asked me, is there anything I can do to help? And I, I think I either said no or just didn't say anything. So then what she said was she looked around and she said, well, would it help if I washed up? Would would, yeah. would it be OK if I washed up? And she didn't just do it without asking. She said, would it help if I washed up? And I yeah. went, actually, yeah, actually, that really would help. So but kind yeah. of think outside yeah. the box. Bit. So be proactive with proactive. your questions yeah. and you're listening I think they call it active listening actually yeah um and just sort of dig around a bit more so if you ask someone if they're okay and they just go yeah or they don't answer dig a little definitely know, and be yeah and don't just take fine as an answer yeah dig a little deeper yeah I know the person you know if I replied yeah. to you just saying the word fine you'd probably know something was wrong because that's yeah. not my usual text language just to kind of give a one word reply and so if you think there's something wrong go with your gut and you know if you're really worried about somebody like my friend from hockey did you can't get hold of them that you've rung you've texted they're not answered if you can go knocking on their door and they might not thank you for it in that moment if they don't particularly feel like seeing anyone but they will appreciate it you know longer term just one sort of slightly linked to that. I know you said one thing, but that's quite a specific thing to someone who's really struggling. So the one thing I would say when it's kind of not at that level, and we're talking about time to talk day and conversations, is just have small conversations throughout the day with any humans you come yeah. across. And animals for that matter. I always chat away to mine. They don't talk back. Definitely. But just, just, just chat, you know, say hello to the barista in the coffee shop. Say have a nice day. Say hello to the person you're on the bus with and, and that kind of thing, just to keep that engagement going and ticking over so you don't Make end those up going people yeah otherwise yeah. you can go days without talking to anyone if you live alone and that's no, quite dangerous brilliant amy thank you so much for coming on you really have come really far and i know you feel there's definitely more progress to be made but i am really proud of you so thank okay. you amy for coming on to chat with us today thank you for having me and hopefully people will find this conversation interesting and it will you know want them to ask more questions and go out and and research but yeah it's been good to talk which was the whole point of the conversation i'll see you in february for stacy's party yes lovely see you later okay, have a great bye. rest of your day bye bye, bye. thank you so much for listening to the podcast today if you haven't already, please follow Kiri Presents or Inspiring Stories on the podcast platform of your choice. And don't forget to share on the socials if you enjoyed it. Thank you very much and talk to you soon.